Well, it's, I mean, it's interesting that like Richard appears to believe that the title of worst Epstein is pretty much a lock. So now he's just teeing off. I think he's gunning for the worst Epstein title. I mean, by body count, I don't know. I think he might be. That's a good point. He might be a little higher. Yeah, say what you will about Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, <laughs> it's unclear how many That's, people he killed. Yeah. Seems like only one or zero, depending on who you ask. <laughs> Listening to A Lab, my name is Tarek, and in our third installment in our Lawyer Brain series, Andy, Tim, and I show you how to get a different type of Epstein brain. All right, so we are, of course, talking about uh, Richard Epstein. Um, He's a uh, he's an NYU professor, the, the Tisch professor. I noticed also um, he is the director of the Classical Liberal Institute at uh, NYU Law. So this puts him shoulder to shoulder with intellectual titans like uh, Sargon of Akkad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's the it's the intellectual dark courts. That's the only bar association he's a member of is the Dark Courts Association. <laughs> Well, in my opinion, he is equal to a number of other intellectual disciplines, such as uh, prominent epidemiologists and medical Epstein, scientists. Epstein's proof that uh, there's literally no specialty uh, in, the, in the world that's a match for a good lawyer. Right. <laughs> So here's the story. I was gave this thing to an interviewee from, I think it was either Time and Newsweek magazine, and they called me back the next day and they said, Professor Epstein, you have to be a doctor or an epidemiologist, aren't you? I said, no, I'm just a plain old law professor. Well, I can't use your stuff if it's, even if it's true because you don't have the right expertise. So they called me three times. I kept on telling him I'm just a law professor, has a very deep interest in evolutionary theory and sociobiology, and have studied it in quite detail for 20 years unrelated and related uh, to my legal work. The, the, the reason we're talking about Richard Epstein is, is the thing that barely anybody listening to this podcast is well aware of, that the Trump administration in part justified its delay or lack of action on an article that was circulating uh, around the administration that was written by Richard Epstein uh, on the Hoover Institution blog or something. Where he he was predicting something like 500 deaths at its first printing. Yeah, on March said, 16, uh, uh, 2020, right? He published yep. the coronavirus perspective. Yeah, on the Hoover vacuum forum. <laughs> he decided to make this post. So he predicted 500 deaths in his original. In the United article. States. He was, he was predicting 500 deaths. I believe at the time there was about 7,000 cases in the U.S., and I, it, I don't remember if it was in response or if it had come out right about the same time, but the CDC was projecting uh, up to a million deaths or more if no social distancing measures were taken. So this was mid-March. That seems like 800 years ago. But if you don't remember, this was right about the time I think San Francisco had just instituted their stay-at-home order uh, and New York was probably a day or two away from that. So yeah, this the was NBA right was about those... to cancel the season. Exactly. Yeah, this was – yeah. Uh, Meltdown May was just a glimmer in everyone's eye. Uh, <laughs> but this was right right as that was going on. And he decided to say, look, it's not going to be that bad. Only 500 people are going to die. One million people, that's crazy. Uh, and basically was like, I bet my entire academic career that this will not <laughs> smart, be that bad. Smart bet. <laughs> For reasons we'll discuss. Yeah, yeah. Always a great bet. Yeah. It is a pretty yeah. smart bet. Um, so, so the low end of those predictions at the time was 200,000. Uh, deaths, which we are easily on our way to getting, you know, this year. I think we stand at about seventy-five thousand deaths. Count that we count. Yeah, I mean, there, there are likely more, but you know, the official right. count is seventy-five. Right, there were more definitely at that time. You know, there was all sorts of pneumonia deaths. Um, but yeah, he wrote he wrote this article, um, basically asking for caution about shutting things down, even though we knew what was going on in China and we knew that once the virus was here. Uh, it would spread because we know how viruses work, which is is a questionable contention for Mr. Epstein. Do we know how viruses uh, work? That's true. And maybe we, we don't really know that. anything. Maybe this one doesn't do anything. Maybe this is a special virus. He had like two major 
objections. His first was that, first of all, it's not going to grow exponentially for all kinds of reasons. But also, another thing that people aren't really thinking about is that, uh, you know, viruses weaken over time. You know, if you think about the way natural selection works, the stronger viruses kill their victims, and only the, the weaker viruses are the ones that actually propagate through society. And how come nobody thinks about that? The answer, skipping ahead, is because there's no scientific data to support it. <laughs> yeah, that's it's complete bullshit. That's the that's the one problem. <laughs> it's that it's wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's weird that the virus appears uh, impervious to facts and logic. It's it's a pure feelings based <laughs> virus, which unfortunately, despite the fact that facts don't care about it, it's fucking liberal. The virus is able to uh, to to go around that. Well, so that goes around as we said. Um, that passed through the Trump administration, and it got to the point even where Trump may have been talking about this in his own way. I think there was an article by Libby Watson who was tracing the origin of this phrase that went viral in the conservative circles about the the cure can't be worse than the disease. And this was a phrase that I think that she traced back to Epstein. Yeah, that article gets posted to the Hoover Institution uh, and obviously death surpassed 500 very yeah, quickly. Like the next day. That was yeah, pretty much bummer. the next day. And so... Uh, So as the coronavirus worsens, uh, on March 30th, he's written that, you know, he has the numbers right now. There's 143,000 cases on March 30th and 2,500 deaths, uh, a little over what he was saying uh, just two weeks ago. Uh, And even still, he's arguing that um, people should be not necessarily allowed to go out, although I think think that's ultimately what he's asking for. Um, But he's essentially saying that governments need to do a cost-benefit analysis and make sure, again, he's he's really pushing this, the cure can't be worse than the disease kind of line of argument that we can't shut down the economy, you know, just to keep ourselves safe from the virus, essentially. People need to die in order to, to keep the economy going. Epstein's a, a, a libertarian, right? I mean, the, the worst possible thing that could happen right. is that people's civil liberty to leave their house and cough on other people uh, might be impinged upon, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then begins Professor Epstein's disastrous uh, series of flailings, uh, which next lead him to do uh, a very ill-considered interview with The New Yorker on March 30th, in which Isaac Chotner just destroys him. Yeah, and and the article was the first one, but the Chotner one, I think, is the real, it's the crown jewel of his flailing, where um, Chotner just basically asks, like, what, why do you think this where did where did you come up with this um and he does the thing that all libertarians do which is get really mad and call the person useless and saying that they think that he's crazy and and putting words in their mouth my favorite part of it that i was talking with you guys about beforehand is where he uh justifies his right to question what epidemiologists are saying by saying look one of the things you get as a lawyer is a skill of cross-examination and that's like his justification for listen i know how to interrogate evidence i know how to look into a subject i know how to ask critical questions and it's fucking unreal for two reasons one he's he's never fucking cross-examined anybody this guy graded onto the faculty he's never been an attorney he's never been a trial attorney. i i have doubts that he's ever actually listened to a human <laughs> cross-examine them or question them about any of the premises that they're trying to communicate to him. So he didn't develop this skill at all. And, and you can know this for sure because he has no idea which one of the people in the conversation has the cross-examination skill because it ain't fucking him. He's getting <laughs> demolished by a guy who's an expert at cross-examination. I mean, he's not an attorney, but that's exactly what happens in that interview is exactly what an attorney would do. That's what I yeah. would do to any key witness, any expert witness in a deposition. You you already know all the facts that are relevant by the time you're talking to these people. You're, only, you're not asking questions you don't already know the answer to, and you're cornering them, backing them into corners. You are... Destroying their underpinnings, questioning their qualifications. What's your basis to say? Would you do some Google search in the article? Um, Epstein says, "By the way, Bill Gates agrees with me." I'm happy to say, uh-huh. and Chonier just says, "What does he agree with you on?" And then Epstein basically says, "He's like, oh, uh, uh, Bill Gates says we need to relax the economic restrictions." And then Chonier just comes out with it. You know, here's an article where he says the exact opposite. Yeah, actually, the opposite. Yeah. And that's emblematic of the way he deals with this entire thing, right? Like, he never runs into a fact that causes him to pause and reconsider his position. Yeah. Right? He basically says, well, maybe I'm wrong, but if I'm right completely, then I'm right, which... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, to back up a little bit, to take you through the numerical evolution of his predictions, right? So he starts with 500, 
Okay, he had five five hundred deaths, and then later on he claimed that the number would be twenty five hundred. Now that's one that's missed by a lot of people, but he did claim that there would be twenty five hundred. Uh, he claimed it, in, I think, in the article, <laughs> right? And then he and then he stated that number to reason. Now you can only find this on the Internet Archive because that gets edited out away pretty quickly because <laughs> he edited it, he edits it up to five thousand because. The very thing he complained about, exponential growth, is happening so fast that he needs to edit his article to double, to you know, qu- you know quintuple, and then double uh, his estimate up to five thousand. And which he, which he states, okay, well, the five hundred was a typo. That was ten times smaller than I intended to state. I, I meant to state five thousand. And then pretty soon uh, he's up to fifty thousand. So so this guy never runs into a set of facts that causes him to become humble because look how many times he's reversing himself and magnifying his estimate. It's I, th- I think one of the most recent articles he's talking about. Well, you know the the estimates that I tend to agree with are the lower bounds of the CDC. Now he's trying to back himself into and retcon his estimate up to a hundred thousand. But at all of these points where he's doubling, tripling, quadrupling, multiplying by 10 and 100 his estimate, he never changes his recommendation, which is, look, guys, we got to think about all these these lockdowns. This is crazy. We got to stop this shit. doesn't matter yeah. how much There's no he's number. fucking wrong. There's no number right. that's worse than being uh, asked to stay in your home for a month. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Or that will get him to say, maybe I should shut the fuck up for a minute. This is very bad design work done by professional epidemiologists. It leaves me very, very nervous because they really don't understand the economic incentive structures that applies to viruses just as it applies to human beings. And, well, people are going to say, but these are professional epidemiologists. You know, I don't care who's a professional or not. You don't win an argument by showing you got a PhD. You win an argument by entering into a public debate with people who disagree with you. And, and what's clearly happened in this is there's no debate. It's just generally largely a monologue. So I'm sitting at home saying to myself, why is it that I feel compelled to write about this particular subject? And it's because I think, A, the models are wrong. B, I've had some familiarity with working with these models, going back 40 years to AIDS and even before that on evolutionary theory. And that somebody just has to say, look, there are two sides to this particular discussion. And I mean, I think also it's it's interesting to think about because I think even if the the shelter in place orders, which by the way are a cause benefit analysis, we could have always asked people to just stay in their homes and mandate that they don't go out at all. This is still a cost benefit analysis. This is still kind right. of a midway point, just not in the way that he wants. But I think even if we'd let people go out and they were actually afraid then what he would be saying, and we'll see this in other essays, he's a he's a super libertarian. He's one of those people that thinks that non-governmental pressures still count as coercion. He would be saying, "Oh, the doctors going on the media are the ones that are keeping people inside. Like we can't we can't have them uh, talking to people and forcing them inside and killing the economy when they have that." So, like the only thing that really would have been sufficient for him is the government covering it up at this point. <laughs> He's painting all of these arguments as kind of, I am the truth teller cutting through the the mainstream media bullshit that's that like politically correct liberals are forcing upon you. When in reality, what happened is the doctors were sounding the alarm because no one was doing anything. I mean, Trump at that time was saying that the virus wasn't going to happen at all, even before he read all this stuff. This just provided the figly justification for 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 that kind of mode of thinking. But the reason the doctors were putting out these these figures of one million deaths if nothing happens is to spur people on to to that kind of action. You know, they were the ones who were trying to change things, and you know, to the extent that they were that they kind of became the mainstream stuff. It was a hard fought battle for them to 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 you know let people know that the virus was deadly. Right, and extremely contagious, extremely uh, right. go- going to spread through asymptomatic super spreaders, and yeah. uh, and and that it was a huge danger and not a hoax to get you know the the latest liberal hoax to get rid of Trump yeah. or any of and, that. And, shit. Like, it still happened, like you know, as as good as the numbers as he pretends they are. Like it's this the U.S. has way more cases than anywhere else. It's like one of the singularly worst countries that's been affected by this virus, and part of it is because we didn't lock down the way we were supposed to, and in part because of jackasses like him. Right, that to put out an article like this is like it's beyond irresponsible. Oh, I mean, you know, to to suggest that these adaptive behaviors would occur 
uh, while at the same time arguing that there was no reason to adapt your behavior. Uh, seems right. seems a bit seems a bit intellectually <laughs> infirm, if I might, you know, venture uh, out into, into into dangerous territory here. But yeah, uh, and then of course he has now shifted immediately to crowing about how he was right. Right, uh, like uh, the, the on by April twentieth, he's writing uh, that. Uh, 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 people are protesting, and it's clear that these lockdowns, uh, you know, are, are worse than anything that uh, co- we we could have done. And uh, yeah. it's 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 really an astounding level of arrogance, uh, to put it mildly. Right, twenty thousand people dying, or whatever it was at the time, is not a lot of people. But twenty people out in front of the Michigan State House is apparently, Apocal, you know, profoundly yeah, important right, protesting. Yeah, this, is, yeah. this is this is what really matters. Uh, is is twenty guys in their cars honking their horns uh, for freedom. Yeah, and and and, so, and his arguments are just they're just fucking insane. And it's weird because like I don't agree with the guy politically, but you know, if you watch some of his like videos and stuff discussing, you know, the common law or whatever, he comes across as, like a very intelligent person when he's talking on this subject. He's just a fucking moron. Like he says that, you know, it's crazy that, you know, Governor Cuomo thinks that we should, you know, double down on the government restrictions. He thinks that that's justified by the science and the data. But but the, the New York's own reports are showing that the rate of new infections in mid-April is down. The number of hospital discharges in the state uh, is exceeding the number of new admissions. Look, what, why do we need to continue the distinctions? It just make I used the fire extinguisher. I hit about 50% of it. I mean, it looks like it's working. What? I gotta, I'm gonna watch the rest of the game, man. <laughs> Fucking good. I, I don't like a lot of it's like this is all obviously. I assume, dear listener, that you're you're more or less on the side with us. Like, although if you're a lawyer, there's a, there's about a fifty percent chance you think you can argue that the virus will get you a good deal or something. <laughs> but uh, I, I mean, I think it just bears remarking on just how utterly just incompetent this this article was. Like as we mentioned, I, I think it's it's really telling. Like in the Vox article, uh, the interviewer I forget her name says. You know, you, the the coronavirus is you know more more infectious than a lot of disease. We say like, no, no one's saying that, and they have to have right immediately after, just like, no, the coronavirus is in fact twice as contagious as the flu, and, and like to not even get that basic level of of facts correct is like, you would think a normal person would be would have pause before continuing to opine on the subject <laughs> as recently as Monday. This Monday was his latest article on the coronavirus right. saying again, that the, the lockdown is too strong that we need, you know, we need to open up or, and some weird bullshit about local controls that most places are doing anyway. Like there's some level of local control. He's constantly arguing against these like straw man ideas that like we need to be in complete lockdown until the vaccine is happening, which nobody, Hey, nobody's doing, but I'll say it. Like, I think that's probably a good idea to some extent you know i mean obviously you can't realistically you can't have people inside all the time but but clearly what we've been doing hasn't been working as good as it could have been i mean if you as a listener were every time you talked on a subject proved instantly 100 percent fucking no a, a thousand percent wrong, or ten thousand percent wrong devastatingly <laughs> idiotic and broadcast to the world at some point wouldn't you start to think about shutting the fuck up and how arrogant would you have to be to be like Nah, I'm going back in. I'm yeah. going four, back like three in. Three or four times, not including interviews. As the numbers spike, we're at 75,000 deaths, 76,000 deaths, and he's like, I don't know, man, these lockdowns are just so crazy. Part of the reason Epstein thinks that the coronavirus fears are overblown is because he thinks that anybody that had any other kind of uh, health issue prior to dying from coronavirus you know, doesn't count. That doesn't count. The fact that people who got coronavirus had other health problems and then died doesn't mean the coronavirus didn't kill them. Like, just because they were vulnerable because they had diabetes or, or you know, even if they were older and had some kind of uh, uh, respiratory or, or immunodeficiency thing doesn't mean the coronavirus didn't kill them. And so unless I've seen saying that 90 percent of the people who are going to die from coronavirus were literally on death's doorbed anyway, what what is his what is he trying to say? What is his point? I'll just say this. As somebody who had to use Epstein's very prominent uh, torts textbook when I took torts, it would be very interesting to me as a 1L to learn these theories of causation. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he still he still soldiers on. Like we said, on Monday, I believe, was his last article. Yeah, yeah. So he's got, you know, now he's trying to move himself into the 100,000 range. He said that 
he said that, well, maybe the lockdown is actually killing people because what if they need to go to the hospital, but they don't go because right. they're worried about coronavirus and they're not allowed to leave their house. You know, yeah. of course, you know, now all of a sudden he doesn't care about considering cost benefit and the other side of like what the hospitals might look like with no lockdown and whether medical yeah. care would be available in the other alternative. Right. But he, uh, the, the other thing that's interesting is at no point does he even countenance the idea of a, of a big government. He just is like, oh, that's a big government solution. We can't have that for various you know, slippery slope arguments that if we let the government solve one thing, everyone will want the government to solve everything, and that's bad for some reason. Fact. So, you know, he doesn't care about people not getting elective surgeries, you know, before the coronavirus. He thought that was good that people were waiting because they couldn't afford it. And, but now that it's something that he can use to his advantage, you know, it becomes a huge issue. What ends up getting revealed in the Chotner interview that we talked about is like, why does he think he's qualified to opine on this shit? Now, in one, in one part, I mean, the, the actual answer Tark's already given is he's fucking arrogant, right? But, but the, the reason he gives is that he's a fellow at the Center for Medical Ethics at the University of Chicago, and in the 80s and the 90s, he worked on research. Yeah, the, the AIDS crisis. Yeah, how'd that turn out? <laughs> Richard Epstein. Holy shit. Holy yeah. shit. The other, the other revealing thing in the Chutner interview is that at one point he just completely melts down and starts starts yelling at, at Isaac Chutner, and he says to, to him, "You just don't know anything. You're just a journalist. Would you like to compare your resume to mine?" Which here at A Lab we we would gladly take you yes. up on that offer. Rich. In fact, we will compare your resume. Uh. That is literally what we're gonna do the rest of this episode. Is check out this dude's fucking resume. So I'm sorry you were you were gonna tell us. Uh, oh, I was gonna ask you who's who. So who is Richard Epstein? Who the fuck is this guy? He he graduated from Yale and went immediately into teaching law, uh, which we've talked about in episode right. two uh, uh, as like the ideal pathway uh, to sort of the reach the pinnacle of success in the law is to never sully yourself with the actual practice <laughs> of the law, but to avoid it at all costs. Right. So, and not just the law, any, any real world experience right. whatsoever. Leave Yale law school and immediately go to USC, spend a few years there and spend several decades at university of Chicago, uh, retire from university of Chicago, uh, and then, uh, immediately turn around and become, uh, the NYU Tisch professor, uh, and, uh, celebrate that, uh, announcement with a full-throated, uh, defense of Citizens United, uh, as your inaugural speech as the, as the, <laughs> it, is, it is impressive that literally Fucking every step king. of his CV so far sounds like a euphemism for a pedophile <laughs> ring. Like, Oh, yeah, he graduated from Yale, and now he's doing a full-throated defense of Citizens United as the head of the Classical yeah. Liberal Institute. So I, w- I want to hit, like, he's the inaugural Lawrence A. Tisch Professor of Law. Now, Tisch, if you're not familiar with, the, there's an entire, I think the art school is named Tisch. Yeah. Tisch is New York royalty. He's a billionaire. Uh, and to be the inaugural Lawrence A. Tisch Professor of Law is essentially they created the professorship right. for this guy. Tish said, look, I'm giving a lot of money to NYU. I want somebody who represents, like, the most psychotically conservative <laughs> viewpoints possible, and I'm going to pay good money for it. And then Ricky Revez, who was the dean at the time, said, oh, fuck yes, man, that's awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll take your money. We'll Please. take your money and this weirdo uh, and give him a, pul- a bully pulpit. <laughs> All right. So um, I didn't go to NYU. But uh, I understand that, that Mr. Epstein is something of a five-position uh, five player, right? He holds himself out as teaching everything in the fucking world. Julius put together all the subjects he claims to teach, and I think the number we got to is 29. 29. <laughs> yeah. 29. I mean, there's Roman law, there's workers' comp, right. there's water law, there's corp- corporate tax, crim pro, environmental, food and drug, income tax, ease land fire, of course, administrative, planning. antitrust. Like, some of this stuff is actually, easily. you know, somewhat specialize right? <laughs> like wills right yeah it's it's something you have a specific Health career law, and then other stuff other stuff like jurisprudence is like 
that's the stuff that they teach to other budding law professors. Well, I mean, any jackass can teach jurisprudence, sure, but I mean, like tax and estates, and you know, like, I mean, this stuff is hard. Like, I, I, I will stipulate for the record that 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 Mr. Uh, Mr. Epstein is probably qualified to teach Roman law. <laughs> what, is, what is Roman law? I never took it, but I feel like. I always I like archaeology and stuff, and I was like, oh, that seems like cool. I never took it, but that's got to be just like where all the trad students hang out, right? Like all the guys that have avatars that are like, you know, black and white pictures of statues with little bars over their eyes, and <laughs> refer to themselves as like the libertarian liberals, monarchists yeah. or whatever. It's a, yeah, it's a, exactly. Yeah, but I, I, so I will stipulate to Roman law. I question his his chops to to teach corporate tax. I mean, this is this is clearly the recommended yeah. subject list. This is a guy who thinks that basically he's figured out something central at the heart of law. Like, look, I figured out right. the essential thing that law is trying to do, and by having figured that out, uh, you know, understood. I can the help deep you heart of shepherd somebody law. through a workers' comp claim. Yeah, right, right. I can <laughs> I can see how any of these things work because I've understood the law at a very deep level. Now, now, since we've already taken you on a tour of his arrogance with respect to one issue, how the fu- how how do you how good do you think these fucking classes are? I don't like math. I think they're terrible in the following sense. What you do is you're exhaling and you're breathing back into your eyes, into your nose, all the stuff that's waste product. And the most dangerous thing, of course, is if you have some virus and you breathe it back into your eyes, you could reinfect yourself. Um, you want people to essentially be in fresh air. You want them to have sunshine. You want them to drink vitamin C or whatever it is. You want them to do all sorts of things that are normal because that's what makes people uh, strong. And all I see in the governor is the notion that whenever there's a risk, the appropriate response is to have more precaution. As opposed to saying whenever there's a risk, what we have to do is to figure out a way in which the natural curative properties that people have can be brought to their maximum effect. Uh yeah, so he teaches like every subject in the world. He's written uh, a ton of books. He's written a ton of articles. He covers every possible subject. He's extremely prolific author. Yeah, he's one of the most cited authors in the legal profession, which says a lot about our profession. Embarrassing. Well, but some of these are like the dubious morality of the moderate administrative state. Right, important <laughs> stuff. The classical liberal right. constitution, how to revive the constitutional protection of property rights, antitrust decrees, why less is more, overdose, excessive regulation, stifles pharmaceutical innovation, <laughs> <laughs> how progressives rewrote the constitution, and f- the case against employment discrimination. <laughs> Something I'm sure I'm sure he's argued many many times. There's a, definitely a, a central theme to all of these as well. well but that's uh, that's uh, in in forbidden grounds. The case against employment discrimination laws, which I have to admit, that's a that's a catchy title. Uh, sounds like a must read. Um, <laughs> this is a book that argues that you should be able to fire people because they're black. Uh, aside from his professorship and and his spouting off as an academic at NYU, he he's a conservative. Epstein's a conservative commentator for the Hoover Institution. He's mm-hmm. a fellow there for 20 years. Which um, is basically just a professional poster. That's right. what he gets paid to do by them. Yeah. They have a massive endowment. They have a huge annual budget. And basically they just fund people to go and post. Uh, they have some interesting uh, fellows there. Uh, fellow posters with Epstein. Anybody want to go through those? I don't. Sure. Yeah. It's it, Neil for... Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Neil Ferguson, James Mattis, H.R. McMaster, uh, Condoleezza Rice, Thomas Sowell, Ayan Hirsi Ali. She's a research fellow. I think the rest of these guys are, are whatever the bigwig fellows are called. Uh, but they have Ayan Hirsi Ali apparently doing research. Uh, George Soltz and, of course, the late great yeah, Fouad Ajami. Yeah. Uh, I believe, actually, H.R. McMaster is the Fouad Ajami uh, uh, fellow. Oh, they had a, they had a, a yeah, successor they, they, post. I think I think, uh, I think he holds a post named after that August uh, Middle Eastern scholar. Yeah. He's being he's he's put in an incubator to start the next war. Let's move on. Um, <laughs> Are we not closing the loop on that? Okay. Unclear if that stays in. Uh, but he's also a poster, right? And I think all these guys are posters. Um, I think Hoover essentially exists to give uh, a place for people like McMaster uh, or Rice kind of after they've run their, their course uh, to go sit and produce scholarship that's designed to sort of run cover for kind of the worst policy decisions uh, that, that, that conservative yeah. government can make. 
Right, or sit around and think up sit around and think up the next talking points. What's the thing that's going to circle through next time? Like the the from from their viewpoint, right? Epstein saying the cure can't be worse than the disease this is a massive fucking success for the Hoover Institution, right? They infected the fucking president with this meme. This is yeah. perfect. This is exactly this what is they want to do. This is their goddamn raison d'etre. Uh, is to is to put this shit out there and see if it sticks to some wall somewhere important. And it's important to note too, it's to do this away from kind of the usual strictures of like the academic, you know, putting it in some kind of journal or mainstream academic work is is they can just do it in house and put out basically whatever they want. Right. So so as a blogger, he's had some real fucking hot takes, some real cool ones. So when so when writing about Ferguson in uh, 2015, I think. Basically, he's saying that my fellow libertarians sometimes can be a little hard on the yeah. police, and I think they need to let up on the authoritarian, militarized arm of the state. I'm not like those other libertarians. I'm a cool libertarian when it comes to the cops. Yeah, I, I love the police. Yeah, exactly. Basically, he, what he does in, in this piece is he, he commits another huge mathematical fuck-up. And you can't do better than the correction he writes himself, which is that it's clear I, I fucked up when I wrote that the number of deaths caused by police officers was smaller than the number of deaths to police officers. Like, absorb how fucking stupid that is that he yeah. originally claimed when he's commenting on Ferguson that, like, squads of cops are just getting fucking murked every day. And that's part of the reason why we should let them kill members of the public is essentially the danger to them is that they're going to get killed by members of the public that he thinks statistically far outweighs the converse. And, and somebody says in the comments, this statement is profoundly and I assume deliberately false. It is hard to imagine this statement being a mistake, given that the number of members of the public being killed by police is 10 to 20 times higher than, than the converse. When you're getting fucking owned like this in the fucking comment sections of the Hoover Institution <laughs> blog... Getting owned by, like, some guy who worked for uh, the Pentagon uh, for 30 years, and even he's had enough of your bullshit. Yeah, these are people going to read. Yeah, right, like, who reads the fucking comments, comments in the Hoover Institution know. blog? And then it's like, shit, man, I got to get a discus account because I got to roll in and explain this guy <laughs> reversed by 10 to 20 times. The whole article itself is just absolutely shameful. It really is fucking hilarious. Like, this guy's a fucking moron somehow. Like, he just, he's obviously has some kind of intellectual ability, but... He right, he's somebody, I think, that despite whatever formal education he had, just really doesn't know how anything in the real world works. And I think the problem that he runs into is that's fine in academia, but... Yeah, but I mean, he's he's pr he's proudly trumpeting these views that even absent, ma you know, the obvious mathematical errors that show what a rotten foundation it's all built on are just noxious on their face, right? Uh, we talk too much about how uh, the teenagers being shot by the cops weren't armed. You know, this word unarmed uh, yeah. is given is thrown around too much, uh, and we need to you know take a more holistic look at the at, at these issues. <laughs> right. Yeah. Look, this was a hip hop style thug. This guy <laughs> knockout gamed over one hundred old ladies, yeah. probably. And he's painting himself as like the 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 underdog truth teller again, where it's like if you look at jurisprudence in the last 40 years, like cops have won basically every time to the case. Like the idea that we need more love for the cops. And again, even in the comments, they're like, I don't think the cops should be allowed to just steal from people with impunity, which is the legal regime that we've set up now. It's and it's just a, it's a crazy position sort of filleting the police for a fucking libertarian from as a libertarian. Yeah. Right. I mean, the, the point of the police is, like, libertarians should like the police more. Well, one thing I would note is um, one of his one of his pieces on, on health care, uh, where he takes uh, great umbrage at the ACA uh, because fundamentally you're creating a system of cross-subsidies in which uh, a group of people who are healthy pay premiums that uh, support coverage for other people. <laughs> What? In other words, in other words, it's what? insurance. <laughs> uh, we seem to be uh, pooling risk here. 
it's uh it's 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 sort of astounding yeah. that people can just spend sort of decades insulated from any kind of blowback on anything such to the point that your your primary argument right. against uh any healthcare reform is that you don't want to ask one person uh, to pay premiums that might subsidize a payout that goes to somebody else in the insurance. And again, context. that's what the that's the solution the free market yeah. came up. With. He's basically saying the free market didn't work the way I wanted it to, which is and theoretically, I mean, in, in practice, I think very much like the libertarian thought. But you know, in theory, he's supposed to like when the private market kind of takes like externalities from 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 one person having to pay for all their their health costs and and distributing that risk across people and pooling it in insurance that's supposed to be what the free market in his mind is supposed to do but i guess because he doesn't like the idea of paying for other people's health care even though it's theoretically cheaper to him he doesn't want it these conversations i It's easy to say that, oh, here's Epstein, you know, who got, got over his skis and he stepped out of his area of expertise um, and, uh, you know, sort of tried to attempt uh, uh, to meddle uh, in affairs where he was, you know, he wasn't qualified. But I think that's actually kind of what law professors in particular do, right? I mean, like the fact that he is welcome to teach 29 different subjects at, you know, one of the top <laughs> one of the top law schools in the in the on the entire planet. I think a NYU law degree can open any door uh, you might want to open for yourself if you attend there. Uh, and the fact that he's able to teach across that spectrum um, shows that there is th- that in fact there is no way you can overstep your bounds. Yeah, the whole thing is uh, stepping outside your expertise. I mean, almost none of these people have ever fucking practiced. Very few law professors you run into actually, you know, have litigated anything. So just the fundamental occupation of being a law professor is very frequently someone who has none or as in the case of Richard Epstein or very little, you know, a few years, uh, of, of actual legal practice now in charge of instructing new lawyers. Yeah, I remember. I remember one of the, when I first started practicing. Uh, the, the, I was at a nonprofit, and they set me up with somebody to kind of shepherd me through employment law stuff. And and he said, like, you know, I, I said, like, oh, I don't really know that much about employment law. And he said, that's okay. Most new lawyers don't know anything. Like your first five years, you're you're basically not useless, but you don't you don't know anything about the law. And most law professors choose to stay in that in that position because <laughs> being a lawyer is is a very experiential job. It's 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 you know you can learn kind of the the fundamentals of what law is but until you know how to make those arguments either on paper or in court you know it's not something you're really going to be able to do until you try you know and I, I said this I, i'm going to recycle a joke a little bit but i mean i i actually i've said this a million times i mean like if if you went to apex tech uh to get your hvac certification and you were taught by a guy who'd never turned an air conditioner on i think you'd have a fucking <laughs> Uh, consumer yeah. uh, fraud lawsuit uh, against them. Uh, and I don't think they charge anything like what NYU charges. Yeah, we kind of blind ourselves because cause the legal profession, you don't work with your hands and there's a little more, there's a patina of of bourgeois excellence to it. But I mean, this is still a professional school. This is also, I, I have to say, this is probably also why you hear professors talk so much about clerking and how wonderful it was. Because that's like some of the only fucking work they ever did. Yeah, exactly. Right? So, like, it's so critical. You have to do it. It's so educational. But, like, if they would, like, flip that over and, like, dig into it, it maybe would behoove them to, like, maybe expose yourself to even more litigation. And because if it was that formative and that important for you, maybe you should go do that a little bit before talking out of your fucking ass in front of you. Can you imagine uh, being one of the guys who gave you all the information 
uh, as opposed to just being the guy who wrote up the memo about it to the judge. You know, I mean, that that might actually even be a more, uh, you know, formative experience. Right. You wouldn't write a book about how people should be able to discriminate with impunity because you would know how hard it is to actually prove a discrimination yeah. case in court if you actually right. practice. I really liked uh, something Andy said on another episode. Okay, I don't want to be completely nihilistic in our discussion about this profession. And I do think that there is some merit to our trade as a generalist trade. Um, and our our true skills being uh, kind of a method uh, of digging up information, of packaging information, of, of discussing facts, of challenging uh, evidence, those sorts of things. You know, I, I think that's right. I mean, there is some merit to it, but you need to understand that that only goes as far as it goes, right? And when you're screaming at Isaac Chotner, do you know who I am? You know, I have a law degree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think if you're a lawyer and you're saying, do you know who I am? Yeah. You fucked up. Like that, that I think is a rule like, you can live you, by. <laughs> you, should re you should have the basic capacity at that moment to understand you have failed. Your profession is ultimately to resolve disputes and to not escalate things. And, and, you know, I mean, we, you know, and many times lawyers fail because in the interest of money, but if you're just letting your emotions get the, the better of you and, and yelling like that, like you are, you're displaying your lack of ability to be a successful lawyer. And I think, you know, again, I just, I mean, the framework goes as far as it goes. I think it is laudable in and of itself. But I mean, if you don't understand that you still need to do the work, that you still need to understand that there are boundaries to your own understanding and your own knowledge. Um, then you wind up in these situations where you're, you know, trying to tell epidemiologists that uh, viruses uh, don't work that way uh, because uh, you read something, you know, in, in a math textbook once. And I, I think that that's fundamentally kind of where, where, where this guy trips the most yeah. over his own uh, ego. And it's that and that he has the hubris to never learn that lesson <laughs> to begin with. I think because... You know, he's been fed it his entire legal career. He was shepherded from Yale, like a, a school where everybody's basically taught they're super special, uh, to to his own, you know, learning the law and then and then entering the academy and, and getting these kind of prestigious uh, chairs and being this like most cited professor that, you know, he thinks that he's kind of an infallible uh, intellectual. Yeah, I have this view in, uh, probably, you know, about life that like it's extremely bad for people to never lose. That it, it like warps you if you never get your ass kicked, you never get shown up by somebody. That whatever whatever it is that you think is wonderful about you, you never met the person who's more attractive, who's smarter, who just absolutely invalidates your entire fucking life. Because without that experience, it might not like drive you deeper to you know character development, you know humility, and and understand that you know the parts of yourself that have value without reference to other people. You know, I think it's a character building thing to get your fucking ass kicked, but. I have to admit that Richard Epstein challenges my viewpoint here <laughs> because this yeah. guy gets fucking stomped out regularly saying the most insane shit that just gets hard countered and it never, never uh, impedes him one bit. It never, it never puts a fucking dent in his ego no, but at all. That's, I mean, but I think you're on to something. Number one, I 100% agree with you, and which is why I'm a, a failed over and over again in my life that only for the experience not 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 out of any actual but i've said this in other contexts with about the academy and so there is no failing there i mean how do you not succeed except you just don't get the yeah. job yeah how can you fail at being a poster for the yeah. hoover institute what's the metric <laughs> <laughs> Apparently not seventy six and thousand and counting. Like none of deaths. these people have ever yeah. like had somebody relying on them to to deliver a result, <laughs> uh, and then God. like you laying awake at night going, "My God, you know this guy's gonna you know stay in jail uh, if I don't do something," or 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 my God, this person you know like their rights are not going to be vindicated if I fail if I lose this motion. I mean, none of the, there there is no. This guy hasn't even had. Oh God, this insurance company is just going to pay everything out at a slightly higher premium. <laughs> yeah. There is no winning or losing. There's, the, the, I mean, law professors just stay winning because there is no losing. <laughs> the monumental fucking toxicity of this guy's brain is just like way. No, it's, right it's now. dark. Like, like imagine you're just 
you're just a guy. He's all all he does is just like wander around in his house talking to himself, probably boring the shit out of his family. You know, endlessly repetitive about his views. Uh, and and the first time that anybody outside of his you know little circle listens to anything that he says tens of thousands of people just immediately <laughs> yeah. fucking get washed <laughs> like, and then he has the audacity the second he's questioned on that to be like do you know who I, like let's compare resumes bro you know who the fuck i am i'm the guy who yeah. said uh it should be legal to fire people because they're black i'm the i'm the libertarian who said let's hey let's ease up on the cops man i mean all while you know surreptitiously logging into his hoover or dot org account and changing 500 to 5000 you know like do you know who i am at the same time i mean it's it's really it's breathtaking <laughs> How do we move these governors, Richard? What what well, do we I mean, say? You also have to add the governor Whitmer in Michigan as yes. another arch villain of the piece. What they all have in common is they're all progressives. Uh, there are non-progressive governors who do something, but this is the more situation. And they tend to believe that there's a kind of a cult of expertise. One of my deep laments about this whole field is it's so siloed. If you're not a medical doctor, you're not allowed to speak about this subject. When in my experience, having taught medical doctors for many, many years, is what they're really good at is treating patients and doing procedures. They're not buried at this kind of social organization because that's not what they do as part of their day job. That is the thing that I did want to come back to now. Like, we covered it a little lightly earlier, but the, the what he did should not be lost on you. This is straight up fraud, right? Like it's one thing to be just like a comical moron who who leaps from stupid conclusion to stupid conclusion in the service of like the rich guy who gave you your professorship or whatever. But this is a guy who goes in and straight up lies, right? Like like Internet Archive has caught red-handed the the changing of this article from 500 to 2500 to 5000 to 50000 uh in some cases without acknowledgement. Uh, or pretending it didn't do some of those steps. Um, and on the basis of the most specious, bullshit, totally unfounded uh, scientific beliefs, and presenting those beliefs as doing the proper kind of epidemiology that scientists really need to start thinking about. And not for the first time either. He did that with uh, the Ferguson uh, article, you know, saying that the cops were being killed by the members of the public. There was no, to my knowledge, secret correction of that. But I think it was just because he was called out in the comment section immediately. Whereas in the case of the of the coronavirus articles, it kind of had to, it was corrected. And then somebody went back and, and posted it on Twitter. So the question, the question then is like, what do you do with an academic like this? Now, supposing you give a shit about the academy as an institution. But I'll tell, I'll tell you who's got a fucking answer. A guy by the name of Richard Epstein. <laughs> he agrees that there should be a fail state at some point. That that, that there should be a point at which the academy uh, polices itself. Yeah, he wrote this article called Academic Fraud Today. It's social causes and institutional responses. And, and his basic point here is that academic fraud is a big deal. When it happens, people might... Uh, you know, tr- people trust the academy. They rely on the academy to to state positions that are based on facts and good research, and it can have big impacts. You might embarrass all of academy and thereby make people less reliant on you know uh, the academy in general, and thereby you know decrease the social benefits of the academy. Uh, you might you might cause people to rely on false research and waste a ton of waste a ton of resources trying to validate your faked conclusions. Or worst of all, they might act. On your fake, <laughs> your fake data, oh, no. and and maybe it'll cause some Heaven real forbid. world impact. Like I don't know, seventy six thousand and counting fucking deaths. So he says that that here's the stakes of academic fraud. The stuff I just said, and what he says is, look, we gotta do something about that. Gotta be a right. process, a private process yeah. too, one that that takes place within the academy itself. Right. So he says that look, the way you got to deal with this is with formal procedures. You got to have formal procedures. Why do you, you have, have to have to. formal procedures though? So interesting. I'll read you a little quote. Many people have asked why it is necessary to introduce all this extra formality into an otherwise collegial setting. There is an answer, Tarek. Formal procedures are necessary largely because of historical evidence as to what happens when formality is disregarded. And what he ultimately comes to is that the collegiality and the friendship and the desire not to rock the boat and the, you know, uh, 
misplaced regard for one's colleagues will ultimately lead professors to just kind of brush it under the carpet and let it go and not mention it or not investigate it until something bad happens. So, Andy, are you telling me that the um, director of the Classical Liberal Institute and uh, Lawrence A. Tisch, uh, professor of law at NYU, agrees with me that A, <laughs> uh, law professors are huge fucking cowards, uh, and B, uh, should be slapped <laughs> around uh, with impunity when they get shit wrong? Are you telling me that? <laughs> 100%. I mean, I think this is a pretty good article, to be honest. He musters some good examples. He makes the case that, like, you cannot trust people. Once this is going on, you need to take it completely out of the hands of their friends. Okay, some senior committee needs to appoint another group of people who will come in totally impartially, and they will investigate. And then they'll figure out what the fuck happened here, and if anybody lied, if anything went wrong, and they'll report their results, you know, to the senior committee or whatever. So, in my opinion... This is a great opportunity for Richard. This might be a test case. To demonstrate yeah. that he has the courage of his own convictions and submit himself to review, and perhaps with a couple of links to the Internet Archive history of yeah. his posts. How were those edits made, and by whom? When? You know, why? Uh, was mm -hmm. he lying? Was it simply a typo, as he said? I don't know. Maybe the process, the, the, the method uh, right. of interrogating evidence that Mr. Epstein... Surely there's a record of how he came to those conclusions to begin with. <laughs> Right. They like don't just state his ideological priors and then go into, well, this is what the tests need to be. Right. And we're not just doing a gotcha here, right? Like, it apparently had real world consequences, which is the exact kind of originating circumstances that Richard says in his paper are a big deal. And this right. is actually one of the few times I think that Epstein is right. Um, <laughs> where the evidence sort of bears out that he has actually, you know, diagnosed a real world problem correctly. He's making right? a good point. To me, Richard, I, you know, I got to say, uh, you're probably not going to listen to this, but if you do, I got to say, I know he gave you a hard time, but I think it's a pretty good article. Pretty also, good. if you do listen to this, we will not debate no. you. It's no. not happening. <laughs> no, I don't care. I will never no, debate no, no, not you. With your, not with his cross-examination skills. Not going to happen. What do you think an academic institution would do if you were a student and did some shit like yeah. this. Right. If it was published in a journal, at least a relinquishing of all your journal titles. Like, imagine the EIC of one of the journals was found. Fudging numbers. Right. And You'd then correcting lucky. them without telling anybody. You'd be lucky if that's all that happened. If you get yeah. academic discipline, that's going to get questioned on your bar. Have you ever been, were you disciplined for any academic matter? Right. Uh, and then your we, character and fitness. That's right. You're going to be talking about it when you're admitted to the bar. Yeah. And if you've done it twice, then that's really not going to look good on your, on your budding no. career. Right, so so a student would be brutally treated for this kind yeah. of dishonesty, this kind of masking and, and changing of your position without acknowledgement of it. Uh, and, and a student is not in any kind of position of responsibility the way that Richard Epstein is. Also, to talk about the collegiality, like he was being cited in reason while his, not only was he being proven wrong, but that he was proven covering up the fact that he was wrong. Like he had a bunch of uh, uh, friendly interviews and articles within reason acknowledging the fact that his numbers were off but but you know going so far as to be like yeah you said 2500 or 5000 the whole time right so the thing is like if these guys if, if this guy isn't held responsible by his colleagues at NYU or his colleagues in the academy generally then like what a fucking obvious th i mean thank you for making such an obvious uh, display of the uselessness of the academy. I mean, think about how fucking useless this profession has to be. If we don't give a shit when you get things wrong, we don't give a shit when you get big things wrong and people take notice and act on it and there are real-world deaths. We don't care when you uh, fumble around and fuck up lying about it and misrepresent to the public what you actually said in the first place. We don't give a shit about any of that because we don't see you as anything other than somebody just huffing your own fucking farts. Like, you either have to admit that that's your real job or there has to be accountability here and if there's not going to be any accountability andy i have enormous respect for you as you know um but you said something that i i must really challenge you said if he's held accountable he, he, he's not gonna be held accountable come on yeah. nobody is gonna give a single fucking shit about that's, this that's one prediction we can make on this podcast i won't i will not opine on the exact number of deaths of coronavirus that will ultimately come out but that's yeah, definitely I, I will not fudge this uh this podcast if i'm proven wrong but i'm going right on record this man is not going to suffer a single consequence for any of this I did. I did tweet at some NYU law professors <laughs> and say, "You got. You guys going to do something about this?" But 
Yeah, I think you're probably right there. That's the problem with this whole thing. Like, like the Chotner interview is so satisfying because here he is, like being owned by his own logic and getting, you know, being made like, uh, you know, to to yell and scream. But that's as far as it's going to go. Like, that's the only outcome of this. This is a man who who thinks it's perfectly fine to just gun black kids down uh, in the street. And how dare you point out that they were completely unarmed, you know, because who knows, they could have been some other kind of threat. Yeah, and to still call himself a libertarian, but and it bears repeating, he was writing about the coronavirus this Monday on May 4th. Like, not, no one, no one at the Hoover Institute was like, Yo, yo, Richard, you should ease up on this for like a couple weeks. Maybe like, just, just ride it out. Not, I'm not mouth. saying you're wrong, but like, maybe you shouldn't keep yeah. doing this. Like, no one at the Hoover Institute has the balls no, he, to he say doesn't that. Even, not only does he not have professional guardrails in place that might, you know, make hold him accountable, he doesn't have any friends. Right. <laughs> he doesn't even have like a cat to like do that thing where you know that meme with the paw, like it's time to stop posting. You know, like, like he's got nothing here. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine having this guy as a client. Like, if my job was to defend Richard Epstein, I would reputation. end in a malpractice suit, even if you won. Like that's- <laughs> no, he'd blame you. I mean, and you'd be held yeah. accountable because you're not a tenured fucking uh, guy who a billionaire bought a chair for. And that ultimately is probably what comes down to, aside from the collegiality, is just like they all want some of that tish right. money too. But I mean, look, I mm-hmm. mean, like. The, the the notion of accountability. Like, okay, first of all, the notion that you could be taught, you you you, you could spend a hundred thousand dollars a year or whatever, uh, and be taught by somebody who knows what they're talking about uh, is farcical uh, in the law school context. But the notion of accountability in the law school uh, context is farcical, right? I mean, you can run around, you know, screaming the N word uh, in front of a class of one L's, uh, as we discussed. <laughs> uh, no problem. Uh, you know, you can be the tor- Torture memo guy, uh, and and be uh, you know perfectly uh, uh, tenured. Oh my and, god! And, when we yeah. finally get to a John Yu episode, we're gonna go through in detail <laughs> the dean's justification for not fucking yeah. firing you. Uh, you know, Amy Wax uh, of of Penn right has gone around uh, you know increasingly uh, on this like uh, Richard Spencer Western civilization. You know, like like uh, <laughs> mud people kind of like nonsense. Just like you know, yeah. completely descending into madness. And the only thing that happened to her was they reduced her course load. Right? She's not allowed to talk to one else, but she's she's never going to lose her job over this. So, accountability uh, is farcical, uh, I think, in the law school context, and 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 that's important. I mean, I think that's that's an important uh, thing to note uh, if you're considering uh, going. Um, and I think, uh, like, one other thing I wanted to tease out was this kind of idea of tenure, right? I mean, because somebody might say, well. You know, you can't have accountability in this context because of academic freedom, and that's what tenure is all about. You know, you need to be able to take bold, uh, you know, sort of intellectual risks and and, and not be uh, smacked down for having uh, unpopular views. But I, I don't know that that's really a great fit for this. I mean, this is just lying about math, you know, like making a number up, then changing yeah. the number, then changing it again, then changing it a fourth time. Um, that's not, I think, what tenure is meant to protect. Yeah, the undergirding rationales of tenure don't reach this kind of behavior. It's got nothing to do with this at all. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not like tenure is is a complete and other uh, plenary immunity from any kind of crime. It would seem that being a, an academic fraud is one of the things that should, in all instances, render you unsuitable for being a professor. Yeah, as Richard points out in his excellent article on the subject. <laughs> Yeah, he probably doesn't want tenure for anybody but him anyway, because it's, it's socialism or whatever. <laughs> you know, that's the thing is he's not even really an alpha, like in terms of getting stuff wrong. Like Trump, just like completely doesn't care. Is just an ex- he's the example everybody thinks about. But just kind of sneakily pretending you were right the whole time when everybody knows that that's not true is like that's not like an alpha way of doing it. It's like you're you're trying to trick people into into thinking you were right the whole time, but but it kind of comes off as just lying to yourself. At some level, I mean, he's absolutely lying to himself. Let, let's let's so so let's have some fucking laughs at this Chotner interview, right? So he says, so Chotner's getting him. He's starting to corner him, and Epstein's starting to crack up. And he says, like, look, I know, I know what you're saying, but these are scientific issues here. And he goes, you know nothing about the subject, but are so you confident. Know of science, well, you're gonna sir. say, you're gonna say I'm a crackpot. And he goes, no, Richard. And he goes, that's what you're saying, isn't it? That's what you're saying. I, I'm say, I'm not saying anything of the sort. Admit to it. 
You're saying I'm a crackpot. I'm not saying anything of the... Well, what am I then? I'm an amateur? You're the great scholar on this? No, I'm not a great scholar on this. Tell me what you think about the quality of the work. Okay, I'm going to tell you. I think the fact that I'm not a great scholar on this and I'm able to find these flaws or these holes in what you wrote is a sign that maybe you should have thought harder before writing it. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking devastating. He says, what it shows is that you are a complete intellectual amateur, period. I mean, this is a guy who was fucking lying to himself. Here's just one more that I, I really like is if you compare the New Yorker uh, interview to the Vox interview to Chunner, he says, this is not a mistake. It's an open challenge. I've spent my entire life as a lawyer taking on established uh, wisdom in the in the Vox interview. He says, so I'm sitting here in this very odd position of being a lawyer, believing that there's been a misidentification of what counts as field expertise, plus a jaundiced view of lawyers that all we know how to do is argue in court. Well, I'm not a lawyer. I'm a law professor, which is just like, he doesn't even know what he is. He's, he's just whatever he thinks he wants to be at the time. Well, I fucking agree that he's not a lawyer. I, I'm going to challenge <laughs> yeah. something Tim, Tim said, too. He said he wasn't, he wasn't an alpha. Um, I, I think the most alpha thing you can do, quite honestly, is shriek at a New Yorker interview. Uh, I'm not a crackpot. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, just be fucking insanely wrong and be like, I don't give a shit. I'll write about this shit again. Watch. I, I got an article coming out tomorrow. I will I will admit that it is a dream of mine to just yell at every uh, member of the New Yorker masthead for about four hours. Yeah, I mean, if it, it, I, I know we covered this point earlier, but if this guy fucking knew the first thing about actual trial law, about actual cross-examination, he would know what this is gonna, what this kind of testimony is gonna look like on paper, what it's gonna look like in the column inches of the New Yorker, and because, and it's clear he doesn't know that, or else none of how he responded would have come yeah. out of him. Yeah. No, he has no way of diplomatically uh, putting anything, any of his thoughts, into any sort of organized manner. Right, and I guess I guess you could at least say that there are no good answers for some of this shit. I mean, he was fucking. That's boring. true, but <laughs> he was fucking. But there's there's a there's an answer you you say when you know you can only give a bad answer, and he gave the worst version. Of that. <laughs> Which is fuck you. You know who I yeah. am. Yeah. If I'm trying to take apart somebody, when I have an expert witness in front of me, I'm going to dress them down and investigate their qualifications. And, you know, when I get the answers that I'm looking for, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to probe them and push those pressure points. So, so, and, and clarify, you got any other expertise you want to talk about? All you did was fucking Google this? You read some books? You know, you haven't done any personal research, right? You never worked on a project like this. The projects you did work on aren't relevant to this subject, right? And these mm-hmm. people do get frustrated. They get frustrated exactly like no, this. No, it's it's it's, yeah. it's it's classic. And the fact <laughs> the fact that he had the fucking temerity to then say, "Well, look, you know, unlike you, uh, I'm an ex. I'm what you call an expert cross examiner. I know a little something about cross examination, <laughs> motherfucker. You're dealing. That's a, that's a real. That's a real. What are you gonna do? Stab me? Kinda. <laughs> while, he's, while he's just getting strung the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, you're sitting yeah. on the phone with a fucking master of you. You didn't even know he idiot. was getting caught. I do. I do wonder if he's if he's ever been put on the stand as an expert. Like, because obviously he's never done a depo or uh, or or cross examination. But like, has he ever been an expert witness? Even like. You ever seen the no, inside? I can't. Imagine. I mean, look. Like, clearly, he's never taken one, and the fact that Chotner fucking just hung him up like that uh, suggests he's never yeah. he's never been deposed to. No, definitely. Right? Maybe an interesting subject for future A Lab research is because I, I want to say that if you've ever been in this position, you would know what to do and you wouldn't do this. But I do kind of wonder that might be wrong. Like it may be that lawyers are actually real fucking bad. <laughs> it's the classic max the worst the worst client to have is a lawyer right so i've heard that i've just never seen it in practice well you just saw it yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's your finish
Teeth.